As we do each week, we'd ask you to stand as we read the word of the Lord. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We're finishing out a series today called uh, If Grace is True, and the goal that we have for this series is uh, two things. One is that the grace of God would actually be in you. What would it be like if the grace of God were true and it were at the core of your heart and your thought and thoughts and your mind and your emotions, if, if that could happen? And then uh, our hope is that the grace of God uh, would not only be in you, but that it would go through you. Because the grace of God really isn't in you until it goes all the way through you and is expressed in how you act toward other people around you. And uh, so we're, we're, we've been doing talking about that uh, in this series. Now, I know that that's a journey, and so I want you to know that there's grace for your journey, wherever you might be on the journey, because it's, that's sometimes hard to believe. Is, is grace really true? Uh, so uh, what I've been hoping for, for many of you, is that the light bulb would come on. I remember when the light bulb came on for me, I was in a class, and uh, a, uh, the teacher of the class came in, and it was about following Jesus, this is the class. 
And he said something, and I, I didn't understand my reaction at the time, but I realized looking back that it was the light bulb for me. Uh, he said this. He said, listen, this was opening words out of his mouth. He said, listen, I want everyone to know in this room that God is not mad with anybody in here. And I, I stopped, and I, I, I didn't understand the reaction because without me really planning on it or thinking about it, these tears started to come down my face. Why is that? Well, for me, that was a light bulb moment when I started to understand that grace is actually true. So my hope has been uh, that that would be the case for you. Now, as we kind of close out today, uh, I've got a couple questions that we're going to work through the, the rest of our time here this morning. And the first one is this, uh, is who needs grace? Well, we know the answer to that, right? It's everybody. Everybody needs grace. But there, uh, there's another question that I think is maybe a little more powerful, uh, and that's this, is that what happens when you don't think that you can get grace, or maybe even worse, don't think that you need it? So you, you have the idea that, oh, well, maybe, I, maybe grace is not for me. It's for other people, but it's not for me. But maybe worse, you think, I don't really need it. I'm just fine. So we're going to work through those, uh, those two questions together. I, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being lost. Uh, if you've ever been physically lost and, uh, and, and felt what it feels like to be lost. I, when I was in college, uh, my roommate and I, my roommate was Scott Dooley. Scott Dooley's the, the doctor who leads the Kujip Nazarene Hospital that we've supported in the Christmas offering. And for four years, we were roommates through college. And when, uh, when, before we were dating our wives, we would we'd sometimes double date other girls just to kind of like see what was what. And, and we were dating these two girls, and, and uh, we'd both gone on a few dates with them, and we thought, you know, it'd be really great if we could impress them with how amazing we are. And uh, so we took them. Scott lived uh, two and a half hours away in Springfield, Missouri, in the heart of the Ozarks, if you've ever been there, near Branson, Missouri. And I uh, thought, well, we'll go to Scott's house, and then we'll take them hiking. And they will be very impressed with our manliness, and uh, it'll, be, it'll, be, it'll be great. So we took them, and we went, to, and we'd been there before. Uh, I lived there when I was in junior high, and been to this place to hike, and it's, there's a national park there, and Ozarks are kind of mountains, but kind of not. They're kind of in between mountains and hills, something like that. Uh, really beautiful in the fall. And, and so we went to this national park just north of Branson, Missouri, and, and pulled into the parking lot. And, uh, and, and got out and started hiking. We hiked down the trail, and we brought food along, and uh, we came to the, the creek that we knew was right there, and we took a left at the creek and went back because we knew there were some, some trails and some fields, and we came to this beautiful uh, field where someone had some horses, and so we got out the food and sat down, and the girls are, oh, this is great, beautiful. We're just so impressed with ourselves. And, and so uh, we eat our food, and we get up, and we walk around, and we look at stuff, and one of the girls accidentally stepped in the creek, and it was so cute. She's like, oh, I stepped in the creek. And we're, we're, uh, we're, we're laughing about all that. And then so we, we, we realize that the sun's starting to go down, and it's time for us to head back. Well, we know, of course, where we're going. And so we get to the creek, and we turn the other way down the creek, because, of course, that's what you do, because uh, we know exactly where we're going. And we keep going, and we keep going. And we keep going, and we're still going, and we're not to the parking lot yet, and we look at each other kind of like, don't, don't, you know we're lost, I know you're, I know we're lost, and you know we're lost, should we tell them that we're lost? So it's getting dark, and the girls are saying, shouldn't we be back to the car by now? And we weren't back to the car by then, and we had to tell them, we're lost. Uh, what had happened was, we didn't realize that the creek went this way, and then there was a ford, and th- there, it split, and it went around the other side of the mountain, and we'd gone over the mountain, and so we went the way we thought we were supposed to go, we were going the exact opposite direction that we were supposed to go. 
Now, up until that point, we were having an incredible time. We were having so much fun, and we had no idea that we were lost. You can tell by the fact that I'm standing here that we made it out of that terrible, terrifying situation. But it was all fun and games until we realized we might not get home. Have you ever felt what it's like to be lost? Uh, Jesus tells us this story that we read to describe for you and I what God uh, thinks when he sees us. And he puts us in one of two categories. We're either at home or we're lost. And like any good parent, God wants us at home. He doesn't want us to be lost. And he'll do anything he can to find us. Now, those two experiences of being at home and being at lost come with a whole set of emotions. When you're at home, I mean, you feel things like you belong and you're welcome and uh, you're embraced and you're included. Uh, You feel like this is the place where you matter and that your voice and opinion counts. The experience of being lost is the exact opposite emotional kind of an experience. You feel like you're excluded. You feel like you're at a distance. You feel like you're not welcome. You're not embraced. Your voice and opinion don't matter. In fact, you're on the outside. And so what happens uh, is that you are either at this point in your life, right now, you are either at home with your Heavenly Father or you are lost. Now, the grace of God is such a beautiful thing that God throws it out into the world because uh, we know that grace is for everybody, but everybody doesn't know it. And so what God does is God spreads his grace out liberally and freely and extravagantly in an, basically in a wastefully extravagant way because he knows that not everybody knows it, but maybe they'll discover it. And so you find grace in places like bars and mills and offices and meetings and in sunsets and in upsets and in movies, and in music. God just spreads his grace everywhere so that when someone realizes I'm lost and I don't know which way to go, that they have the scent of home, grace. That's what God's after. So Jesus tells us uh, this story. This is probably one of his most famous stories about being lost. Now, we, uh, we refer to it as the story of the prodigal son. That's, that title has been added by the translators. Uh, that's not actually in the manuscript of the text. The reason we say it's the story of the prodigal son is we usually focus on the younger son. Uh, and the word prodigal, if you were to Google it, don't do it now. Uh, if you were to Google it, means wastefully extravagant. Uh, but the prodigal in the story is not the younger son and it's not the older son. Uh, the story is about a man who had two sons. And so it's the story is about the man and the man is God. And the man, the father, is the prodigal. He's the wastefully extravagant one who does whatever it takes to find his sons when they are lost. There's a man who had two sons, uh, not one. Now, those two sons represent the ways that we try to find happiness. One of those those sons didn't think that he could get grace. He thought like grace wasn't for him. The other son, maybe even a more dangerous uh, situation of being lost, thought that he didn't need grace at all. So Jesus is trying to paint the picture for us that both of those sons are lost and that the wastefully extravagant father wants them home. So what they represent are basically two paths that you and I try to take to find happiness. And the two paths that you and I take to try and find happiness are self-discovery, where we try and go into the world and make our way and 
do whatever it is we feel like we've got to do to, to be who we think we need to be. And being a moral, uh, upright, maybe even religious person. Those are two paths that one of you are on at some point in your life. Now, that path of self-discovery, I, I would call it a, a Burger King life. Now, uh, here's what I mean by that. I, I'm not so sure that ads today are as memorable as they used to be. Maybe it's because we have more, and maybe it's a 24-7 news cycle. I don't know, but I remember when I was a kid, Burger King had this commercial, and it's always stuck with me. And the commercial was based around this. Uh, it, sa- it said, you can have it your way. Does anybody remember that, Burger King? Like, right? Just like, someone's like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. But back when Burger King and McDonald's were toe-to-toe, like they were going, going at it, right? You can have it your way. And it tapped into this deep-rooted thing that said, yeah, I ought to be able to have it my way. I ought to be able to do it the way that I want. And so the journey of self-discovery is when you go and you're true to your, uh, you, you uh, express your own truth, you're true to yourself, you have your own journey. If some people get trampled on or hurt or you run over your parents and what your parents expected of you or, or what your friends, it doesn't matter. Just be true to yourself. Go on your own journey. It's your life. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody tell you that what you're doing is wrong. You, uh, like in the words of Frank Sinatra, do it your way. Do it your way. That's the journey of self-discovery. And this younger son represents that journey that many of us go on to find happiness in life. And as you notice the story that Jesus tells, there's three scenes, and they kind of parallel the journey of self-discovery. And and the first scene opens when the younger son goes to the father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, that doesn't really register with us because we're not from a Middle Eastern traditional culture. Uh, But when that story is read in a Middle Eastern setting, uh, everyone in the room says, how could that younger son be that disrespectful to his father? Because the understanding in that context was, if you said something like that to your father, what you were in effect saying was, I wish that you were dead. I hate being around you. It's incredibly disrespectful. Uh, But notice what the, the wasteful, extravagant father does. He says, Father, I want my share of the state. Now, he was entitled by uh, the customs and laws of the day to have a third of his father's estate. Now, this is not uh, something that his father can just go to Sintir and get a cashier's check and hand it over to his son. His wealth was in uh, his property and in his cattle, and so he would have had to go and sell some of his property and sell some of his cattle. It would have been a bit of a process. And then bring that money to his son. And he brings that money to his son. This is the journey of self-discovery. You don't care who you hurt. You don't care what, uh, what expectations you overturn because it's your journey. It's owed to you. It's a sense of entitlement. Like, this is mine. I, you need to give me what you owe me, Dad. And so the wasteful, extravagant father gives him what he's asked for. Uh, then the son takes, and Jesus says he goes off to a distant country, and he squanders what he has in wild living. Here's the picture. The picture is someone who's got a lot of money, and is in a constant party, and he's having a great time. He is Snapchatting the whole experience. He's got Instagram. He's like, make it rain up in here. You know, and people, people, he's got friends who want to be around him because he's got a lot to offer. He is just a constant party. And, and here's the thing with the journey of self-discovery when you're in that place. It is really, really fun to do whatever you want and not give a flying fig about what anybody thinks. It's really fun until you run out of money. Jesus says there was a severe famine in the land and he's run out of money. And what happens when you've been in that scenario and you've got friends is all of a sudden when your money goes away, you no longer have friends. 
and he's by himself, and he has no money, he has no resources, he's shamed his family, so he thinks he can't go back home, and so he tries to make the best of the situation, and he goes and he hires himself out to someone who farms pigs. Now, you've got to understand, Jesus is talking to Jewish people. Jewish people don't touch pork because it's not kosher, it's, not, it's unclean, it's not something that you do. Jesus is saying this boy has gone as far away from his upbringing as he possibly could, and he's at rock bottom. And he realizes no one will give him anything, and he's thinking, man, if I could only eat the pods that my, sons, that my father's servants, I mean, it, it, what they have, if I could just have the pods the pigs eat, uh, oh, everything would be okay. So there's this scene where he, he, he's like, okay, now I can have what my father maybe will give to me. And so he, he, he has this awareness, and this, the scene shifts, and he says, my father's servants at home, they eat better than this. Maybe, just maybe, my father would welcome me back. And so he knows that when he goes home, by law, uh, what the people in his neighborhood and his village could do is they could stone him. Because when you're disrespectful to your parent, the law said that you could, uh, that was incredibly shameful, and you could be stoned. And so he knows when he goes home, what is owed him is a stone. And so he hatches this plot, and he says, maybe, just maybe, if I... If I'm, if I'm sorrowful enough, if I beat myself up enough to my father, then maybe he'll welcome me home, and maybe he'll make me like a servant. I mean, surely I'd never be a son again. And so he, he rehearses this speech, and he says, you know, Father, I, my father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And so he has this long journey to get home, and he has this, 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 uh, this thing that he recites. But as he's on his way home, the wastefully extravagant father sees him coming. Now, you need to understand, again, we're, we're not from that culture in that setting uh, a dignified uh, patriarch head of the family would never run to one of his sons in fact would wait for his sons to come to him because that's how you get honor and respect would have never picked up his robes that he wore in that middle eastern culture and run to his son. it would have been incredibly shameful but that father that wastefully extravagant father sees his son come, so he's waiting for his son picks up his robes he runs to his son and he embraces him and, and the, you can see the scene this younger son tries to get the words out Father, I've sinned against heaven again. So he goes into his speech. The father completely ignores the speech. He says, quick, bring a robe. Put a ring on his finger. Kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a feast. My son, who was lost, is now found. He was dead. Now he's alive. We get to celebrate. We get to celebrate. I mean, the wastefully extravagant father ignores the shame that the son has brought on his, father, on, on his family and his father and just gives him his love back. He says, now you're a son again. That's the fear of someone on a self-discovery path is you think when it gets at its worst and you look around and you've exhausted all your resources and this is the journey, right? You get to the place where you hit rock bottom and you look around and you go, who's going to help me? Where do I turn? I mean, I don't even know which way to go. Completely lost. In that moment, the wastefully extravagant father welcomed you home. But there's a second son uh, there's a second son, it's the older brother, and he represents the path of morality and rule-keeping and being a traditional person who does the right thing, does what's expected of you, uh, is responsible, uh, tells everybody the right way to go. Now, this doesn't even have to necessarily be a religious person. I was uh, at the gym not long ago uh, at a YMCA, not the YMCA in this town, another town that shall go remain nameless. And I'm, I'm there, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I got some weights, and I'm, I just for a second, I turn, I set him on the, the bench that's right there, and this lady with a Y shirt comes running over, 
and, and she interrupts me, and she looks at the bench, and she says, hang on, looks at the bench. Okay, go ahead, carry on. I'm like, what, what did I, did I just do something wrong? Well, she was a rule keeper, uh, because the next time I came back, on that same bench was a label that says, please do not put weights on bench. She was looking to see if I'd broken the rule about putting weights on a bench, right? It's going to be anybody. The person who thinks, like, you've got to tell everybody what they're supposed to do or they won't do it. You've got to tell people what they're doing wrong or they won't change. It's this kind of a person. Uh, now, we actually ignore the older brother in the story because, again, we tend to make the story about the younger uh, brother. But this is actually who Jesus was addressing the story to. He's addressing it to the religious leaders, the moral leaders, the moral police, the people who had it all together, and he's trying to say the heart of God for every person, and they were missing the story. Now, before you say, well, these are bad people and they're judgmental, these are actually honest people. Uh, they were the people you would have trusted with a key to your house. They were the people that if you were sitting at a restaurant and you had some belongings on the table, you would turn and say, hey, could you watch this while I go to the bathroom and it'd be just fine when you came back? Uh, these are honest, hardworking, faithful, upright, upstanding people. And Jesus says that they're at an incredible distance from God. Because he, he wants his son's home, right? So here's what the older brother says. He hears about the party that's going on for the younger brother. And Jesus says that he refuses to go in. Now, again, in that culture, the father would just hear that his older son wouldn't come in. And he would say, go tell that son of mine to get in here now. He's to do exactly what I say. But the wasteful, extravagant father uh, defies all the conventions and he goes out to his son. And his son lets him have it. He says, why would, he says, what are you doing? He says, I've, I've slaved for you my whole life. I've never left. I didn't ask for my share of the estate. And then this son of yours, won't even use his name, this son of yours squanders your property on prostitutes. Do you know who he, what he did, dad? Squandered it on prostitutes. Come on, dad. This is not fair. And you're throwing him a party and you never even let me have uh, a young goat to have a, make a feast for my friends. What, what's your deal? What's wrong with you, Dad? I'm totally disrespectful. Because this is the heart and the attitude of the younger brother that's at a distance from God. Because that person says, you know what? I care more about the rules than I do about my brother or my father. I'm more interested in making sure that everyone knows what they're supposed to do than I am caring about the actual person who's trying to do it. I, this is the heart of the, this is the heart of the younger brother. Now notice what the father says. The father says, son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Do you understand that how this older son has been around his father the whole time, doing all of the right things, but he was never actually close to his father? As a parent, do you know what it feels like when you have a, a child who is at an emotional distance? You would love to be close, and they may even show up for meals, but there's just a tension. And this is the son, right? And Jesus says this represents the person who's moral and who's religious and does all the right things and goes to church every Sunday and sings all the songs and reads their Bible and tithes and serves the poor, but their heart is a thousand miles away from God. It's all a ruse to be in control. That's all it is. Now, notice how Jesus ends the parable. In the parable, but we know the response of the father. The father is that if you go on the journey of self-discovery and you basically say, I'm giving God the finger and I want nothing to do with God, that, that God in response will not pick up a stone and throw it at you. The wastefully extravagant father will always welcome you home. 
And then we know that the younger son, that he actually responds. He actually says, I want to come home. And he accepts the party that his father offers to him. But the older son, Jesus ends the parable, and we don't know what the older son does. Because see, for the moral, religious person, when they're around all of the right things, they don't think that they need grace because they're all around. They're around all the right words. They're around all the right activities. I I know about grace. I've heard all the sermons on grace. I don't need it. My younger brother needs it. And it's not fair that he gets it. That's the spirit of the older brother. That, that path of self-discovery, what it leads to is shipwreck and self-destruction. Yeah, right? But the wastefully extravagant father doesn't pick up a stone. And the path of morality, what it leads to, it leads to bitterness and it leads to resentment. And here's what Jesus says. Both of those sons are lost. Now, we know that grace is, uh, we know that grace is for everybody, and if you're a younger brother, um, you see the stones that you think that you deserve. God couldn't forgive me for what I've done. God couldn't pardon the things I've done. I mean, the list is really long. And if you have the spirit of the older brother, then when you see a stone, you see a stone you'd like to throw because you would like to throw it at the younger brother and say, get in line. Figure it out. Get yourself together. Jesus uh, tells a story or, um, in John chapter 8, and it's of a woman who's caught in adultery. And by law, uh, when, when some of that happens, you can stone that person. You, you get the, drive the evil out. Get that bad person out from among us clean people. And so uh, this woman is brought. Now, interestingly, the, the man doesn't show up, just the woman. And Jesus says a, a famous phrase that he's famous for saying. He says, um, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And uh, the oldest men, the oldest Pharisees, the oldest moral older brothers in the story, they drop their stones. Until one by one, um, it's just Jesus and that woman. And Jesus goes to that woman who represents a younger brother. And he looks around and he says, now where, where are the people that accuse you? Where are your condemners? And she says, there are none. And then he says these powerful words of grace. He says, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In other words, I have no stone to throw at you. Tim's going to come and he's going to sing a song and when you came in there's this stone on your seat and uh, here's what I want you to do it may take you all summer if you're honest I want you to be honest I want you to reflect on your life and I want you to reflect uh, are are you on the path of self-discovery and so you are at the point where you say I don't think that God could forgive me. And so when you look at God, you see a stone waiting to be thrown. And in a minute, we're gonna, I'm going to invite you to come forward and uh, take communion, take the elements of communion, the bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for you. You can dip that in the, the cup that represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for you. And what you can do is you can leave, some first service, some folks have already done that, you can leave your stone here. Understanding that the wasteful, extravagant father doesn't have any stones to throw. Or, 
again, if you're honest, maybe you're the person, uh, you've, you've been doing it all right all your life, you've been keeping all the rules, you've been checking off all the boxes, and you're tired of the burden of having to judge people. That's not fair, that's not fair. Don't they understand? And this might be the moment that, for you, that grace would come home to your heart and you would go, I'm going to put down the stone. Now, it may take you all summer. Uh, we're going to leave these up here all summer and we'll have a little pile of rocks so that at any point over the summer, you say, I'm, I'm ready either to understand God has no stones. The wastefully extravagant father welcomes his children home. He doesn't throw a stone at them. Or you may, it may take you all summer to go, yeah, I don't, I think I'm tired of throwing stones. And I'm going to leave that down. And you can have a moment at the end of the service or beginning or whatever, all through summer. Here's what, here's what I'm asking. Just be honest. And then I'm, uh, in, a, in a minute or two, I'll, I'll come back and I'll welcome you to the Lord's table. And then you can receive communion and, and be dismissed. Listen to this song. Think about your life.
you haven't yet, I'd invite you to come to the Lord's table and receive the elements. And remember that Christ died for you and has no stones to throw. And if you still want to leave your stone, you can go and be dismissed. Go as God's people, full of grace.